to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman, and I am joined by my friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman, as well as our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Lots is going on. We mentioned last week that we were doing a live show with Just for Laughs, and we hope you got your tickets. And if you haven't, please get them now because our big guest is... Reggie Watts. Yeah, JFL, Bell Media came through with a, with a big dog. You know him from Comedy Bang Bang with Scott Ackerman, and he is now the band leader for James Corden on James Corden's show. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. Do you have anything in particular that you want to ask him? Oh, well, we can set that all up, Max. We've still got about a week. Yeah, that's true. But buy your tickets, because it's going to be good. Second City, right? Yeah. yeah. Second City here in downtown Toronto. So if you're in town or you're going to the Just for Last Festival anyway, please come check out our show. I, I'm excited about Reggie, man. I was a big fan of uh, Comedy Bang Bang, the TV show. Shaney, thoughts? on Reggie Watts. Oh, I love him. I, I'm not worried about him at all. I'm so relieved and happy that we have him. I'm just thinking like, what am I going to do? <laughs> that, that's Because the last one I had something to do and this time I'm kind of... I you had a whole PowerPoint presentation. For I did and I thought there. I had something good for this one, but now I'm kind of second guessing everything. <laughs> uh, that's ominous for our listeners. Yeah, Shane, yeah. Don't, get, don't second guess yourself. You're a gem. Yeah. It'll be good. And I'm glad yeah. that you're giving people that might be thinking about buying tickets a lot of confidence in buying tickets right well, now. Well, be confident in Reggie. He's a professional. I'm just <laughs> a hit and miss type of guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got to think of what I'm going to talk about off the top because the live show, I read some old emails. Yeah. Which, which went over really good. I was quite happy with that. Yeah. But I don't know what I do now. We still need to have like our main production meeting about what we're going to do for the live show. But Shane and I have been batting some ideas around. So we yeah. have some good ideas. I think that are going to be fun for people that come and check out our live pod, uh, which will be an hour long at 12.45 in the afternoon on Saturday. September 29th uh, at Second City here in downtown Toronto. So please check it out. Also, dudes, today on the show, we have Matt Wells and Michael Rowe, two guys that were in a band in St. John's, Newfoundland called Bucket Newfoundland? Truck. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I did exactly the same thing we made fun of <laughs> Shane for doing last week. Newfoundland. 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 Yeah. Newfoundland. All right. Good Lord, man. Yeah. I feel Now I feel like such an imposter because <laughs> I broke down with these guys. They're great. They were uh, in a band, obviously, years ago uh, called Bucket Truck. And um, I really was interested to talk to these guys for a couple of reasons. So they were like friends at a young age, start this band together, tour, grind it out. It's like this DIY sort of like punk post-hardcore band. Uh, and then all these years later, Matt Wells goes on to be like a TV personality. He worked M3, MTV, Much Music, interviewing everyone from Quentin Tarantino to Lady Gaga, kind of doing what we're doing right now. <laughs> Michael Rowe, who drummed in that band, went on to star in Arrow as Deadshot. So it's like these guys sort of like start as a band in St. John's and then go on to sort of have this very interesting sort of uh, career path. And then now we're at the point where they have this film out right now called Crown and Anchor. Crownandanchor.com. Watch the trailer. Find out where it's playing. It's in select cities in North America right now. Check them out at Crown and Anchor Film on both Twitter and Insta. And it was cool to talk to these guys because in a lot of ways, I feel like they kind of are occupying the same space that we are, which is friends just kind of making creative shit uh, for the love of it. Yeah, what was it? Uh, it's always cool to hear when like old friends who were like, "Did you know that like Bill Clinton and so and so were roommates in college, and then they went off and did some like two other things that were equally remarkable in different ways?" Yeah, that's the way I think about us. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe we should cool it on the Bill Clinton comparison. <laughs> <but laughs> maybe pick somebody else. No, you know, okay, but there there are classic examples. Yeah, that's a bad, that's a terrible example. Things are coming together, guys. And you know true. what? There's lots going on in our lives that we can't even talk about in the pod right now. Yeah, but I feel like there's an exciting future for the pod right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, Shane's in a funk, but I think it's temporary. We're hey, going to pull out of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we're, we're having this, this jovial conversation right now, but we all, for our listeners, the three of us have to have a serious conversation after the pod is over. Yeah. So we're all well, thinking Well, the about wedding that we too. went to actually kind of started my funk. 
Oh, really? Okay, yeah. let's get into that. Well, Shane performed in a funk band that night. Yeah. He started my funk. If Shane, if you fronted a funk band, what would they be called? Oh, geez. <laughs> now it's making me nervous for the live show if you ask a question like, funk <laughs> off, Mike. <laughs> funk <laughs> off. There funk you go. off. Uh, but yeah, are we going to talk about the Yeah, wedding? let's talk about the wedding. Yeah. So our dear friend Sean Dawson, uh, who was my roommate, was your roommate, mm-hmm. was Mike's roommate, got married. Uh, we love Sean Dawson. Yeah. He's the best. Uh, he's a really sweet dude. And he listens to every one of these uh, episodes, I believe. Yeah. And it's uh, it's been... There's only a few weddings left kind of within the Champagne Boys. They're drying up. They're drying up. I, I guess I'd be included in that group of people who haven't been married yet. But, uh, but Do we have prospects? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. See how famous you get? Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it's Sean, for our listeners, uh, I was in a band uh, previously called Pumps, and then we were called San Sebastian, and it was Sean and his brother Brody, and then me and my brother Greg, and then our, our good friend Ted, who was the drummer, Rock Steady Teddy, and uh, we've talked a bit about it on this podcast before, but I've, I've been all over the, the country with Sean multiple times touring. I've, we've been to Africa together. Shane was actually in Africa with us, uh, so it was really great to see, to see Sean get married, and it was nice that the three of us were in his very exclusive wedding party. <laughs> Explain more. Well, I mean, you know, people are like, a wedding party is a big honor. You know, I had five guys. No, I had eight guys. I had to expand because my wife actually had lots. Yeah. So I was like, oh, Sean will probably be in that, that, that realm. But we were wondering, oh, it's going to be interesting to see who makes the cut. Because, and also because Sean's had so many roommates, right? I mean, we've all had so many roommates like, yeah. uh, with that are champagne boys. So it's like, oh, man, how do you... How do you whittle it down? And he's kind of pals with everybody. That's right. They're like besides like Brody, his brother is his best friend. That's a that's a no brainer. His best man, best man, yep. and one of his best friends. Absolutely. Like, uh, but and then but if I were to think about like, well, I feel like I'm pretty close to Sean, and you are, and you are. It's like everyone's kind of close to Sean. So it's like, how would you whittle it down? So, so what did he do? So he had this really difficult choice to make, and instead of making that difficult choice, he just put 16 guys in the wedding party. So. <laughs> Was it actually 16? I think it might have been 12. So we just said 16 in the jokes. Yeah, yeah because we had to make a video for this wedding. Well, tell too. him why we had to make a video. Well, because the nut was emceeing, and although the nut has done a perfectly fine job at other weddings emceeing, he felt more pressure for a champagne boys wedding because there's typically uh, a lot of uh, extravagant emceeing action going on. I.e., you two just host it like like you're hosting the Emmys together. Yeah, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to perform, so the nut felt a lot of pressure on himself to perform, so he enlisted uh, Mike and I's help to make a video with your brother Greg, yeah, involved. yeah. So Shane and I have done a couple Champagne Boy weddings, and then Sean Dawson, who recently got married, he emceed my wedding, and he did an amazing job as well. So like everybody that does the gig when it's you know time to emcee a Champagne Boy's wedding puts a lot of thought into it, and you know you sort of get together and you write a whole bit, and then you practice it, and then you sort of deliver it because it's their big day. The nut, as Shane mentioned, I guess was not interested in doing any of that kind of work. No. So as a favor, he just asked Shane and myself and my brother. To help him shoot a video that would basically take care of all the heavy. Who are basically professional. You guys are basically professional comedy writers and editors and producers. At a wedding, I'd say so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That level. (laughs) So, yeah. Anyway, we're like, listen, the nut, he's good to us. He gets us into all sorts of exclusive events. And if he's going to ask a favor, and it's for Sean Dawson, who we love... We agree to do it. Well, so, you know, the thing is, I, I'm like the nut where it's like I'm just a delegator. Like, I don't have many <laughs> talents. But, and, and so and I think the nut, nut has his own set of talents. But like in this kind of situation, you'd be like, I'm just going to delegate this to the people who are actually great at it. And he's got a good sense of humor, too. He was doing a funny thing where we show up for the writing session because it was a couple nights. It was one night of writing, one day of shooting and then like three days of editing. <laughs> 
So the on the writing night, he's like, "Okay, uh, how are we gonna do this? Who, who's gonna? Who do I gotta pay to edit this? Who, you guys know anyone? I'll pay anything, like, <laughs> any amount." And there's just a big pause. It's like any amount. I'll just pay it. I'm like, "No, nut. You don't have to pay for it. One of us will do it." No, no, no. I'm paying. I'm paying. What? We need sound too. Uh, who do I got? Greg. We we need a sound guy. Who's a good sound guy? I'll pay anything. And then of course it comes out. He doesn't want to pay anything once it actually. Well, we're like, show. we're like, well, we can do it with labs or like a boom. He's like, okay. Well, what do you think? And Shane's like, oh, we could probably get someone to do it for like 300 bucks. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, well. I don't know. Can't we just... Uh... And then he kept... He's starting to cut corners. <laughs> and then it came out that I would be editing this okay. project for free, of course. <laughs> and then we had a night of shooting. Mm-hmm. It was a fairly elaborate shoot with lots of props that we made him get, he, which he didn't want to even purchase, though. Like, we used a pack of cigarettes, and that was like pulling teeth to get him to pay the $13. <laughs> End up uh, spending a couple of nights editing it yeah and i will say this for anybody that's listening meaning the champagne boys and just our listeners in general shane busted his fucking ass editing that thing three days and it's like it was a lot of footage to go through there was a lot of riffing and he cut together i thought his cut was amazing yeah it, it was amazing and it's thankless fucking work man because yeah. people don't even really know what editors do especially in like a wedding setting like that yeah so i i finished the edit uh pretty much the day before it was due to kind of check out and then mike took a look and then added some fine-tuning to it, which made it infinitely uh, better, of course. And then we just had one last concern, which was, will this video play properly at the wedding? Because mm. making the video, that's just half the battle. The real thing is, will it play without a litany of technical problems? Because every wedding has technical problems. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. even, you know... The speeches, typically. Exactly. The groom's it. making a speech, and the mic's like... Yeah. Or it stops working. Exactly. Or the volume's going to be fucked up. It's going to be cavernous, and no one's going to be able to decipher what people are actually saying. So we went through a lot of effort uh, to figure out the best way to do it, and we were worried about it playing online because we thought maybe there could be an internet lag or something if like that. If we streamed that. it. So sure. we wanted to download the file. Yeah, yeah. Download the file. And we're like, Birchall, you just have to test it. Before it plays for the audience, she goes, "Oh yeah, I'm getting there early, I'm testing it. I got Dan on the case, yada yada." Yeah. And then, you know, before before the video plays, uh, we were having some drinks. Everyone uh, is drinking at oh, the yeah. party for like four hours. I guess we had around before, <laughs> just, just a little drinking. bit of time. Yeah. And then it got into. I guess people wanted to play games, so they started doing all these top five games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm excited to hear about this because during this time, again, this was a large wedding party. Uh, our friend Pete, who we've talked about on this pod, and myself, we were kind of over in a corner, just like catching up, yeah. drinking some beers. And they had a whole group over. You might have been. Part yeah, of the I kind months. of. Yeah. I came in. Uh, I was in and out of the. So group. I wasn't part of this. But then afterward, everyone kept making these top five jokes. So I don't. I don't even totally know what was going. They on. They weren't even jokes. I wish they were. It was more. <laughs> <laughs> it was more just like how can we like alienate? No. Well, oh, who's the most conceited? Who's the most annoying? Like all okay, those. So, yeah, I don't someone know. set up the premise. I think it's so. Basically, I think it started with we got a bunch of funny guys in our group. Mm-hmm. Who's the top five funniest? Uh, who are the top five funniest guys in the group? And so, of the group of six, seven guys that are hanging around, everybody goes through their top five. Yeah, but we're not just <laughs> rating the top. We're everyone in the group are rating, and then we're doing bottom five too. Well, okay, carry on. So, I'm just. Stupidly, I guess I thought I'd be number one on everyone's list. <laughs> this is specifically for funny. For funny. 
for funny. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I just thought, oh, just perception of me. It's kind of like my aura is kind of funny, right? Yeah. Like, I'm constantly <laughs> laughing at your aura. Well, I, I would <laughs> see, see. That's why you made top five, and a lot of people did. I? Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. that's good but, news. Um, I just, for some reason, I guess this is I could make top five conceited. Also, I just thought I'd be number one on everyone's, and I was on a lot. But some people's, I didn't even make top five. You were in top five for the basically everyone's, <laughs> but maybe one. Who's Jug f- put me at six. I know, That's but Jug ridiculous. was just trying to antagonize you. I guess, Clearly. maybe. <laughs> and you were top five for everybody else's list. And you are probably but top But not number two. one. And that's know, every fabric of my Mike, being goes you into trying to be funny. You should have seen Shane's face oh, as really? these conversations were happening and people were going around the circle. Shane, I've never seen him more irritated and more like kind of upset and anxious. And like his eyes are shifting. He's like kind of tapping his feet. He's like his teeth are clenched. Like he was, like, he was just like, so angry. Meanwhile, by the way, I mean, it's maybe less important to me, but I walk into the room. The, into the, the circle and the first thing everybody says is like Max you're bottom five and everyone's list <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were like yeah Dan Hamilton got number one usually then we have as, as the least funny yeah and then we have a guy named Mark who got second most and then uh, you came through <laughs> right the, and, and this is in the least funny in the least yeah, funny that does feel a little mean spirited but, yeah I don't but I didn't really care whatever I know but you also made uh, most vain number one <laughs> <laughs> Top five well, most vain. No, to be fair, I mean I'm pretty vain, but there's a yeah. lot of vain. What were some of these yeah. categories? And by yeah. the way, this it sounds kind of funny, but these are the sort of things that tear groups apart. Yeah. Well, here's what bothered me. It was just that Sean Dawson got number one on a lot of people's list, including yours. Yeah, it I, was I, his wedding. I know, but I'm saying let's be real here, Sean. <laughs> I think Sean is one of those guys. He's number three at everything. He's the number three best looking. <laughs> he's the number three best looking guy in the group. Out of 30 guys, that's pretty good. He's the number three funniest guy. That's the way I look at it. Like, he's effortlessly number three, which I think is a high Who's your top t- top five funny, then? Who's Let's my go. top five? Okay. I had Greg, <laughs> just because this is individual opinion, right? Yeah, but everybody, everybody could say that. Everybody has individual opinion. Oh, I know. I but, ju- but the only difference is it should be unanimously. I just thought one. I transcend opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I cannot believe you got uh, number one in top five vein. Uh, did I get number one? Oh, it, it was you and Mike were neck and neck in a lot of lists. But AJ uh, called me out. Uh, also, I made a uh, top five on his, which yeah. I thought was very astute because just because you have a negative, like if you're always like putting yourself down, people sometimes think you're not like self obsessed. Oh, vain. I think you're the most vain. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. That's why I, I was like, oh my god, they figured me out. Because if you try to put yourself down, it's like, oh, it's not all about him. But it actually, it's more about you because you're so like self-obsessed. Oh, you're still talking about yourself, it's, even if you're being self-deprecating. Exactly. It's like my sister. She's always putting herself down. I'm like, you're the most narcissistic person in the world. It's Everything's about you. I had a bad day. My day was even worse. It's like, shut, up. <laughs> shut up, Tiff. Let me have my moment. <laughs> oh, man. The point is, I was feeling super on. This is probably the unfunniest part i've ever felt in my entire life and then of course right after this top five game where i'm feeling really low mm-hmm. uh, the photographer has a good like improv game she wants to run where everyone gets to take a photo with sean but the first photo oh. has to be funny <laughs> so i'm like i'm gonna fucking kiss sean that's the funniest thing you can probably do and, and by a, the way there's like 16 guys 16 in line guys waiting to so of course phone. first guy runs up its peak and what does he do he dips sean and kisses him <laughs> gets a huge laugh from yeah, the group hilarious man top five yeah. funny <laughs> 
And then he, everyone's like looking at me like, what are you going to do, Shane? What are you going to do? Everyone's getting in my head. I'm like, now I have to kiss Sean with tongue. Oh. So I went up to him and I stuck my tongue down his throat. Yeah, it was funny. I was uh, re- returning from a nap. I thought I had to have yeah, a nap. Yeah, where did you nap? Yeah. So, we're, so we're doing these photos. It's the whole gang of guys, the whole gang of girls. Mm-hmm. And the photographer's taking photos and we're like, we need Max. We need Max. And no one knows where Max is. And Max comes running out from like a bush with his... <laughs> tie loose and his suit is all crumply and i'm like where the fuck was max because okay i I had to fly home at four in the morning from chicago so i was really tired and we'd also been kind of drinking for the like the previous three hours i was like man if i don't close my eyes and have a little bit of a nap i'm not going to make it to the end of the night so i just found a great tree with awesome shade and i was just like across the field in the park at the bayfront park in hamilton i was just like it was awesome i had a great nap uh, so anyway, so I got back, and as it was happening, weren't was, you concerned? You're a pretty prominent person in Hamilton. That someone would walk by, see you passed out in a suit under a tree, and think that you had some sort of issue. Yeah, you're uh, just a drunk. That's true. I didn't think that. I was just more concerned about the nap. Oh, I wish I got photos. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but I got back, and um, Savelli just goes up to me, and he kind of like kind of quietly goes. Yeah, you know, I can just just look at Shane. He's freaking out right now. Oh, I <laughs> fucking hate Savelli. He, he, <laughs> I wasn't even on his top five list. And then, of course, he's the minister or whatever. Yeah, and he kills it with like a comedic minister routine. He was very he was good. Great. And he's on like cloud nine, and he's like, "Don't worry, I actually think you might be in my top five. <laughs> After he like murdered him to try to make me feel better. But um, it's. Do we get to the video? Right, let's, let's get, get, let's to, the get to the video. So this is all during the day. It's the night of the wedding. Everybody's at the venue. Everyone's having a good time. People are filling in, uh, including uh, the bride's side of the family, who we, we're not super familiar with. We know Sean's side a ton. Yeah. Obviously, his parents, Bruce and Patty, have been around a lot in our lives over the last decade. Uh, everybody's feeling good, but we don't really know much about her side of the family. So we're like, how will the video play? Uh, how will it be received? I hope people enjoy this. How is the nut going to set it up? And most importantly, like Shane said, Let's just hope there's no fucking technical difficulties because we put a lot of work in this, yeah. this six minute video that we want people to laugh at and have a good time. With. And your brother, last minute, he comes up. He's like, let's not do it. Let's not play the video. <laughs> Did uh, I panic? And, and because oh Greg made top five self-conscious. Being, okay, yeah. Greg was number one, actually, on uh, yeah. top five self-conscious. But he, we do have a lot of dick jokes in this, too. And this is a wedding. And that can be a little racy maybe for some people so we weren't sure because sometimes that can break the tension in a wonderful way but sometimes grandma gets offended and the bride's crying you've ruined my wedding and we don't know really how it's going to break especially since sean specifically told birchall no dick jokes (laughs) so greg was kind of getting in my ear like we should not play this video and i'm number two (laughs) self-conscious so i was like oh fuck maybe we shouldn't and then bird's like it'll be fine it'll be fine take it away mike so we're all sitting around uh, it getting time for this video to be played. And we are nervous. We are nervous because we're like, the first joke is basically a joke about how big the groom's penis is. And we're like, that's going to be a litmus test immediately. Is the room going to laugh or is it not? Video starts to play and right away, there's a stutter. And anyone that's ever done anything like AV or made a video, the minute you see a bit of a lag on a video that's being played on this giant projector. So picture this. It's a giant venue. There's this huge projector, and it is. And Dan Hamilton's running the tech because the nut has set it up with him. And within the first five seconds, as the nut comes in onto the video, he's like, all right, boys, we got a big uh, show to do, or we got a big wedding to write about, et cetera, et cetera. We see that the, the, the picture is stuttering. The lips aren't matching the video. Yeah. Immediately, the sync is off by about... I mean, you you were there, Max. You had never seen the video. You didn't know what to expect of the video. What are you thinking the minute that happened? I'm going, ah, shit, that, that sucks. Because, of course, Anytime you're presenting anything that you've worked on, you like if I'm showing a song to somebody, I want it to be loud on good set of, on a good set of speakers. 
similar situation if you're showing a video you want it to be linked up and we also we slaved over every edit to yeah. make sure the timing oh, was right time, yeah and when, once you lose the sync all bets are off it doesn't so, even matter anymore so the good thing is we the thing is when something's out of sync it you think it might start to fall back by a lot it stayed at about two seconds yeah so basically the audio was tight and then the, like it would be the audio was a little ahead and then the video would catch up so the good thing is if we're finding a silver lining is people understood what, like people got it immediately yeah. and the penis line got a huge laugh off the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right away we're like, this is good. Then we're just kind of like, what a damn shame that it's stuck. Were you able to look at the screen after you were like, well, no, no, my yeah, brother was out on the balcony. There was like a balcony where you could watch through the window, but you could still hear the audio. And about halfway through, I just went and joined my brother. I was with Danica. Yeah. And then I was like, I just, I'm so crushed that the, that it's not perfect right now. I just stared off. Yeah. yeah. But, I was like, and what was I? Did I make top five narcissistic or what, what was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like on the good side being like, the jokes are landing. Totally. So I don't know. You watch okay, the outsider. Okay, so my perspective as someone who has an objective view as an outsider. Uh, first of all, a quick little shout out to Dan because I know Dan was um, really wanted to make it work as the AV guy. And I don't think he had a chance to test out that particular video. I think like the thing he got to test was a much lower resolution. That's, I think, caused some of the technical issue. Uh, but he did try his best. Shout out to Dan. Um, I will say that I've been in situations where I've been watching someone who tried their best and it failed and you can only go, oh God, like, what do you possibly say? Like, I will say the time you guys co-hosted the after party at the horseshoe. <laughs> that, that I'm was already a, feeling low, man. Yeah. That, 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 that was a time where I was like, oh, this is tough. This is tough. And I've, and I've, I've been in that situation too. Like I, we, uh, Mike and he, Mike and I played a convention for journalists a couple weeks ago in a ballroom acoustically and the whole room was talking. Oh, it was like, and we were, we were playing whistleblower and it was like, this is supposed to be this stark moment and you just imagine how it's going to go and how everyone's going to feel the weight of the song and the whole room was talking. This was like two weeks ago. It oh. was fucking brutal. Anyway, so I know the feeling, but I will say it was still fucking hilarious. Obviously, it would have been like maybe 6% funnier, uh, but you had the room in stitches. Everybody was fucking laughing. Everybody loved it. And as somebody who gets super annoyed at people like talking during speeches, like this did not bother me at all. Like during the ceremony, during the wedding ceremony, there was some, because it was outside at the Bayfront, you could hear kids in the playground, you know, a hundred meters away, like yelling and screaming. That annoyed me so much mm-hmm. because it was getting in the way of Savannah's Oh, you speech. slapped the shit out of that one kid. That was weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I was sprinting <laughs> over there. <laughs> but uh, my enjoyment of the video was not detracted at all uh, mm-hmm. based on, on, the, on the stutter. So I, I really, I, I know you, I would probably sound like I was just trying to comfort you guys after it happened, but everybody loved it. and It was awesome. Well, good. I'm glad it went over well. Uh, I thought that the wedding was great. The speeches were very heartfelt and uh, sweet. And there was a Beatles cover band. That's the video that went over great. Yeah. You know this? So it's yeah. just to set it up for everybody <laughs> listening. Shad uh, and Chelsea is wonderful, beautiful bride. They hired a Beatles cover band to be the entertainment for the evening. Yeah. And that band fucking delivered. Oh my they God. Costumes, the original gear. It was awesome. You know, uh, Sean told me he was getting a Beatles cover band. I was like, it's a little weird. It's a little niche. Obviously, everyone likes the Beatles, but it's like, don't you just want to get a standard cover man that will play lots of great songs and maybe a couple of Beatles songs? Like, that's kind of what everyone wants. And he said, he's like, no, you know, this will make the wedding a little bit more memorable. And credit to Sean. Sean was like kind of thinking three steps ahead because I was like, okay, if you say so. So they open with uh, the early Beatles, like Mop Top set yeah. with, the, with, with the early Beatles stuff. And I was like, okay, this is great. I'm like super into this. Um, then they take a break. Speeches. And, and speeches. Now... 
as uh, the Champagne Boys know, I love a good wedding speech, and I am an ugly crier. And at that point of the night, everyone's been kind of drinking for a few hours, and you're really starting to feel uh, the weight of the night. And you're also just getting really excited for like who's going to deliver the knockout speech. Because there's a lot of smart people in the room. You know, Chelsea comes from a really great family. Her dad's a great speaker. Uh, Sean's really great. Like, you know, like everyone's sort of like well-spoken and smart in, involved in giving these speeches. Um, and for me, Sean's uh, dad, Bruce, delivered a knockout speech. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He, you know, Sean's dad is like a kind of real manly man, but he's got a heart of gold. And he, he has this story, but like, you know, the, the first time, I, how, how do you say exactly? Like the first time I saw Sean, I knew I was in love. Oh, yeah. Oh, just thinking about that. Think about a dad. His firstborn child. Yeah, and, saying you know. that. For me, Sean's speech where he spoke about his, his father and his relationship with his father, that was what made me cry. Yeah. I didn't like Max ugly cry, but I was like. Oh, I, I was also cry during Sean's. Oh, obviously. my God. Yeah. I couldn't because Sean couldn't get through it. Yeah. And I, are we being too, are we sharing too much? No, of no, no, life? no. I think it's totally good. Right. Then when the Beatles came back, <laughs> okay. well, this is that's it. when you were really crying. Oh my god, you Be- cried at the Beatles song. Okay, well here's thing. the thing. So I was just thinking about my dad because my dad and I have a very sweet, tender relationship. So I was just thinking about like our relationship, and the reason why I like music is the Beatles because my dad, when I was four years old, showed me the movie Help by the Beatles, and it's literally the only music I listened to until I was twelve years old. It was just like I was obsessed with the Beatles. In, in kindergarten, I just drew pictures of the Beatles. That's all I. That's all I did, and so. Like one of the early one of the songs that came back and played was "In My Life," which you have a tattoo on your chest with that lyric in John Lennon's handwriting. In John Lennon's handwriting, and I'm like, and I just just started crying. Then, "Hey Jude," I was crying. I was just like, I just couldn't stop, and it was the most cathartic feeling uh, to 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 listen to those songs and like think about my dad and and just have a good cry. And uh, yeah, I was like, concert of the year. It's my favorite concert of the year. Was it the Beatles cover band? Uh, I thought it slayed. So I uh, had a bit going on Instagram. <laughs> I know. And I was just filming you anytime you got close to the stage, just saying, Max is obsessed with the stage. He's dying to get <laughs> yeah. up there. And it was doing okay or whatever. But then during one song, you started grabbing the tambourine. You started going up to each member and shaking it in front of their face. <laughs> and they're like absolutely ignoring the shit out of you. Yeah. I'm like, this is hilarious. So I start filming them and I'm just saying something like a desperate Max gets ignored by the Beatles. <laughs> And then I, I'm like, this is like kind of funny, but it's not like super funny. But I was wrong because I got over 30, that's right, 30 messages oh, really? in reply to that story. I got messages about that video you posted. Yeah. I've never got such a reaction from anything I've ever done in my life. Because, okay, out of context, you're right. It looks absurd. I look like a crazy person and, and, and the band like is completely ignoring me and they don't know... I'm in a famous band <laughs> or any of that, which is totally fine. Well, they're in the Beatles. Like, I doubt yeah, you're going to Come on, man. Them. Put things in perspective. But for our listeners, um, the part I went on stage w- for was the final outro of Abbey Road. There's dueling guitar solos. Yep. And if you're a Beatles nut, you're a Beatles nut. You know this because on the record, John, uh, Paul, and George all go through guitar solos. So does Ringo. He gets a drum solo. It's in, called The End. Yeah, the name it's of the called song. The End. And so, I, so that, that part of the song was happening, and I was going on stage pointing at them to do the, the guitar solos. I'm sure they appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks yeah. for cueing them. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. I was. I thought it was cool. No, it was great. <laughs> but but out of context, it looked it just, cool on video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think why it's funny and resonates is obviously I think most people that follow Shane respond to that know that you are in a very successful band. Yeah. So it's funny that you're like chomping at the bit so to get up there and sing a song with yeah. them and then it's even funnier that the Beatles are literally just ignoring you yeah no of course and also in my defense I'll say is I think especially I mean at that point in the night maybe it was unnecessary but earlier in the night someone needs to get the dance floor going at a, at a party and I can do that I can like get people up there because no one wants to be the first one no one wants to be one close to the stage and that's what I did so fuck you top All five right. top five most defensive yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that was the wedding yeah it was a great time. Congrats to our friends, Chelsea and Sean. Anything else about that wedding, boys, before we get to uh, Matt and Michael from no. Crown and Anchor? All right. Crown and Anchor is a film out right now. That uh, story uh, that Matt Wells came up with and that co-wrote with uh, Michael and Michael's brother, Andrew, who directed the film. Um, this thing is out. Like I said, check out crownandanchorfilm.com to watch the trailer. Find out where it's playing across North America. It's in a bunch of theaters. Um, you can follow them at Crown and Anchor Film on both Twitter and Insta. And like I said, um, I think this is a cool conversation for a lot of reasons. Um, these guys have been working at doing stuff in entertainment in a creative way for a really long time. And it's awesome to see people uh, actually accomplish things that they set out to do because man it is fucking hard to make a film and uh, these guys are tight and they made a film and I implore everybody to uh, check it out and give this interview a listen because I enjoyed their journey Matt uh, specifically when he talks about sort of being in a band and then deciding to do like interviewing and being on TV and joining Going Coastal and sort of the Much Music family. It's just really interesting hearing it come from a guy that uh, has this sort of DIY punk ethos uh, that their band sort of really embodied and then sort of joining a media company mm -hmm. and working in a totally different field and how he negotiated that. And then, of course, uh, for Michael auditioning for Arrow, getting that job after, you know, being desperate, like he said, for those guys to make Bucket Truck a success because they put so much heart and soul into it. So I enjoyed this conversation. I implore you all to listen. If you are tuning in for the first time because you're a fan of Matt Wells or Michael Rowe, please, we have over 100 episodes. You can find them everywhere podcasts are found. Uh, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, and now SoundCloud. So please check it out. Over and Spotify. And Spotify. Yep. Max, Shane, do you want to get to Michael and Matt? Let's do it. Yeah. And long gone are the days when you'd be visiting Toronto and go and see an interview and press your face up against the window out <laughs> of the sidewalk. And like, <laughs> what was that speaker's corner thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, they used to the studio in the corner, the old Much Studio too. Used to be like the the windows would be it would be transparent so people could see yeah. in and see what was going on. I feel like that's all they've abandoned that uh, sort of like for the people. Yeah. Everybody can see it, and it's kind of the spectacle. Yeah, Much used to be also a really good way to avoid commercials when you're watching TV because you'd always just flick and watch Absolutely. videos and then go back to your channel. Here in Ontario it was uh, Channel Thirty Three. Did you guys know the Much Channel when you were like kids? Like I think it was Thirty Three well. in St. John. Yeah. yeah, it was just yeah. you always go to Thirty Three exactly yeah. in between commercials and kill yeah. some time yeah. uh, all right well let's go back to the start before we get to, to crown and anchor and i want to start with um with bucket truck i guess my question would be like when you guys sort of started the band what would you have defined as success because that's you know it's it's i think it's subjective you know is it touring is it putting out a record is it you know what i mean having your friends be into you is it is it larger than that did you guys sort of frame things that way or were you like we just want to make some music and fuck around oh man i mean you kind of freaking me out here uh i'd have to 
I'd have to say that for me, my original challenge was even just playing music in front of somebody. Like, yeah. I grew up with a bunch of brothers, and my grandfather owned a music store. Music was all around, but I had no uh, ambitions of performing music. I liked to listen to music. Music was a huge inspiration for me. Um, I you know, grew up playing the drums, but in an Irish folk family that was into like country music and bluegrass music and stuff. So my older brother got me into heavy music. Um, started jamming, loved jamming, but didn't really have any uh, want to to do it in front of people. Just, you know, just teenager, didn't want to be judged, called a shitty drummer. Maybe that was all it was, sure. you know. But then they booked a show and didn't tell me. This is my first band, just before <laughs> Bucket Truck, and uh, forced me to get up on stage. And it was the best feeling I ever had. And I was like, how do I do that again? So for me, it started with just performing. And then um, when we started Bucket Truck, which was very shortly after, um, I think it was like bit by bit. The, can we do an album? You know? yeah. Can we book a tour? Can we, can we do a tour and not lose money this time? Now can we... Uh, it's always go, a tall order in Canada. Yeah. So now let's um, you know, relocate the band so we can tour more. And then now can we do video, music video, right? And can, can we get it played? And then there was all these goals. But I don't think we ever thought that far ahead right just being able to do it and exist doing it was the victory and that's as far as i ever thought about it at least yeah i think maybe i was a little bit different i think every band has has a grinder has the sort of the one that's like i got i'm gonna book i'm gonna book the show and i'm gonna i'm gonna get us opening for this band you kind of need that guy in every band we had a couple actually really we had we had three but i definitely uh, every time i would think about the band and it came from watching much music. I would see Our Lady Peace or I Mother Earth or the Headstones, and I'd see, well, they're, now they're coming to St. John's. Well, we could play a show with those guys. So I, I always had this idea that I just wanted, I wanted to have a little bit more. I wanted to play in front of that big crowd. I wanted that to happen. So I, yeah, it was partly like, can I do this? But as soon as I felt like I could, there was no stopping me. Mm. And that's sort of... So yeah, what was what, what did I define as success? It was always trying to to okay, let's play the big show. Now let's let's not just do the one off and be the local opener. Let's get the tour. And then it was like, can we get a video on Much Music? And then it's like, can we do our own tour? So I always set these little goals for myself, and I think that's just maybe my personality. I'm I'm sort of type A like that in anything I do, um, but I think you do need that to be able to drive something like an independent band. But I did it, and I was able to do it because I loved it, and I loved the the guys that I was doing with, and I did love the music. So it was just the perfect storm. We weren't making any money, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But we made enough to keep doing it, and that was enough. And then you, at a certain point, you start to realize that the real challenge is keeping the band together. Of course. <laughs> and so, you know, the more you tour, the more you're stuck in the band together. And guys grow up, and they start exactly. getting different priorities, and it's hard to sort of be on the road. Because being in a band, it is kind of the circus, right? It's such an unconventional career. Yeah, and you, lifestyle. you've done it. You know yeah, it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, and that was that was the difficulty. And, uh, you know, I think you guys might have had a similar thing, but the, the, the five of us in my band that toured the country and went to Africa and stuff, like, we love each other. We still hang out all the time. But at some point, we were just like, um, I don't know, man, like, there's, there's, I don't know how much money there is in this. Mm -hmm. And it's when that starts to shift and you have to go. Also, when people start a band, like we started for free drinks and to meet 
yeah. ladies, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, now we have to be business people. Mm-hmm. And that didn't come naturally, I think, to anybody really. Or at least no one wanted to do it because you delineated music fun, business, business. Yeah. And, then what's, and that's so know? difficult. I, t- I have this conversation a lot, even in my own head with myself, because it's really yeah. hard to... Uh, first of all, most artists aren't that good at business. That's why when, when I started working with Matt, he sort of had that... Like you say, every band needs that guy, and he Definitely. was really good at it. Um, but it's really hard to to balance the two. Do you know what I mean? And 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 the art, the business, applying business to art and not having it change your art is also one of the really tough things and one of the goals in it all. It's the great challenge. I mean? Yeah, yeah it and is you know a great what? Challenge. And I will say that. And this is I wasn't expecting to have this conversation, but it makes me happy. One first of all, I dropped out of university. I was I was doing a business degree, and it was it was horrible. I was they were telling me I had to do like a uh, a case study and how to open a Tim Hortons out around the Bay in Newfoundland. It's like this is this is such a waste of time. And I learned more from what we did in Bucket Shark for mm-hmm. ten or eleven years than I ever would have learned in university. Stay in school, kids. So stay in school. You definitely stay in school. school. I've got yeah, kids, and, I, and we, I, we dropped out of university and hit the road with their band, yeah. and it was the best decision yeah. I ever made as well. Like because. Man, I don't know, like, you grow up, people are telling you, you know, you good grades and do this, and, um, you know, uh, you hear this expression like, oh, yeah, you, 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 you make something with your hands, you're a carpenter, you build a table, and you stand back, you look at your work, and it gives you this satisfying feeling of gratification and fulfillment, and, dude, I never fucking felt that with anything I did in school or anything I was ever, you know, forced to build or chose to build or build out of necessity, Right. But I'll be damned if, uh, you know, writing songs and getting something in your head out into some physical space didn't give me that feeling. It was exactly what I knew what people were talking about then. You but know you were I mean? still building something, though, even exactly. though it wasn't tan- like a physical exactly. sort of thing that you. So it's a, it's a yeah. cerebral uh, audio sonic. Some of it's on. Words on pages, on exactly. scraps, on this, on that. And little comes to you in little flickers and. You know, it's organized chaos, and it haunts you until you put it on an instrument or put it on a recording or whatever. And that finally gave me the feeling of creating something. I kind of, just through, you know, um, my family being bookish and really educated and smart, felt like the odd duck a bit because of that. But they were all into art as well. Sure. I I grew up watching my dad play in a band. But having that, uh, that happen... It became it became my new favorite thing to do, and I truly found a new gear and felt like I could really work hard at something because I was finally motivated. The last thing I would say to all that, and again, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. Uh, this is probably the only time any interview we'll do all week that we talk about this, <laughs> uh, and it's very rare for him and I to be together in an interview and be able to talk about it. But um, not only did I, did we learn so much how to how to make the the artistic side work with the business side and not compromise the things we were doing and that's probably why bucket truck didn't have more success than we had to be honest with you looking back on it some of the decisions we made saying no to agents or record deals or whatever and i and i still stand by those decisions but also what i found later in life was punk and hardcore music and it wasn't just the music it was like this idea of like what what minor threat and what and Discord Records were doing and sitting in their basement and putting those things together and making it happen and making it work and pulling their own tour together across the country and saying we're only going to charge $5 for a ticket. Fuck all these promoters who are ripping kids off. $5 only. That stuff 
blew my mind more than the music did. As much as I loved the music. The ideology. The ideology. The construct of, of this I sort of new it, thing. I loved it, and I still do. And, and I didn't realize that as I was learning about it, this is what we were doing with the band. Right. And that and drove me more. So then I would, that, those became my textbooks. You know, I started wanting to read about the history of Fugazi or the history of Minor Threat, the history of how Black Flag did it, all those things. And that was the thing that I wish they had, a try, they had a taught me in university, to be quite honest. Which you don't learn until you go out and you actually put your hands until on Until you it. do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so th- this shift is interesting to me. So being in a band and creating music is, it's like a creative endeavor. And then I think like acting, writing, being in, in, in movie or television is also this creative pursuit. But they are separate. And a lot of people that would maybe be in films would be like, oh, I would never be in a band. A lot of people would be in bands like, I could never get in front of the camera. Were you guys sort of always into everything about entertainment? Meaning like, oh, I want to stay up late and watch Saturday Night Live, but then I also want to, you know what I mean, get into this music scene. Or was it something where acting and the pursuit of, of being in these things and writing these things came later? I never had any aspirations to act. Like it never all even occurred in, to you? never even occurred to me. Right. I didn't even try acting in anything besides playing the drums in one of my music videos, which is not acting because it's what I did. <laughs> better, better than anything else that I tried at that point. Well, performing on stage in a band is a form of acting for some people, you know, especially yeah. if you're doing a million dates. It's like, you can't be this visceral sort of honest experience every night, and if it is, good for the performers. Yeah, I see what you're getting at. Um, movies were always something, like, I had, I had the, like, I had four brothers. Yeah. Right, so there's five boys in my family. Grew up watching Saturday Night Live, renting movies every weekend. Sometimes yeah. I'd stay home and have a better time. I would go out with my friends on the weekend. My friends would want to come hang out at my house <laughs> because it was a better time. But my family was really into to film, um, just to you know, mostly comedy or action. And then as kids, we recreate it and stuff because we had a troupe at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then I had five best friends in high school and then I ended up starting a band with five other dudes so I could see this pack mentality that I had personally in my own life and all of you know those packs sort of functioned similarly and the goofing around and throwing a line from your favorite movie or whatever in the perfect situation (laughs) in life is really really fun so that is how I started I feel now looking back on it Mm -hmm. but didn't ever act in anything until I was over 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, because I lost my band around the same time, and it, I needed to put something in there, and I thought I'd just start another band. But that was kind of painful, because I can't, couldn't imagine starting it all over again. Sure. So I moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, and I started doing um, just little sketch comedy things with my youngest brother, who had aspirations to, to get into the film industry, and... I did not, but I wanted to just make something. And so I was like, I'm gonna, I need to try this just to give myself at least a break from music. That's always the way. It's like the person that just goes along the audition for a joke and then they end up getting the gig. That <laughs> yeah, did he book's arrow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's well, literally what happened. I've, okay, we're going to get to that in a second. Um, just, to, just to add to that, I, Mike and I are very similar. Bo. Mike and I have known each other for a very long time and I, I consider Mike a brother and I think it's, we, we've been on very parallel lives. And it was very similar. The band ended... And I, I didn't find acting, but I, obviously I did find TV, right? And that came to me as a TV host or as a ju- journalist, but I didn't have any thought to do any of that. Like, I fell ass backwards into the Much Music job. It was because of the band. 
Okay, well, I, I want to. How does that happen? Because people go, "Oh, you get a show like yeah. Going Coastal." It's like, yeah. What's the process? So the process was we had moved to Halifax. Um, they had Going Coastal, which had just been rebranded from Much East and Much West. Mike Campbell was ho- hosting the West Coast or the East Coast version. He'd been at the company for I guess twenty twenty five years. It was t- like oh, he was phasing out. He was fifty years old. Like he's like he couldn't be talking to kids anymore, right? Sure. And he. So what happened was. He started having me, I think in his mind, now looking at it's so funny, I saw him last week in Halifax and we talked about this. He, um, he started realizing that his time was coming and he started asking me to guest host. Because he, he was never a fan of our band, but he really appreciated what we were doing and he always liked me for some reason. Well, okay, this let me pop in there for a quick second. <laughs> so it's hard to interview a band. There's a lot of people, right? Of course. So you kind of need to have a spokes, spokesman. Obviously, this guy, he's got the gift of gab, <laughs> got a, you know, a bit of a face for radio, but uh, <laughs> just kidding. He would take the mic from, from Mike Campbell and just, like, turn it into something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It happened from the very, pretty much the very first time he agreed to interview us. So he just had this kind of personality where he would just be super goofy and loose, and he would even, like, as he's being interviewed, stop somebody on the street and, like, grab the mic from... Campbell and like ask that person a question and then just jump right back into it and so he had this real uh, ease in front of the camera and he was really good at interviews so I think Mike recognized that right out of the gate then and that and that was it then they then they needed a new host and I remember at the time uh, they were doing an open casting call which they used they would do back in the day right let's do open casting call find a new host or find a new new VJ and honestly, at the time, I was like, well, I don't want to go to a fucking much music casting call. That's stupid. Everyone who likes our band is going to think that's stupid. Absolutely. And we, and at the time, everyone in Halifax, like people really knew our band, and we were doing really well in Halifax. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. So I, I so I was going through Campbell, and he said, he said, okay, I'll tell them you're not going to go to an open casting call. And then I get an email back. It says something like, now they connect me with a producer, and they said, well, will you come at the end of the day when there's no one else there? I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I went, and they just said, we'll come out in front of the hotel, and we'll just do a throw. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I was like, okay. And I was like, well, sorry, what do you mean? They're like, well, just like introduce the show. How it, and I had wa- I'd watched Going Coastal every Sunday, so I, I knew how that show looked. So I just remember getting up and saying something like, all right, coming up next on Going Coastal, we're going to talk to Classified, Matt Mays, we're going to have an interview with Universal Soul, and we got a video coming up from, you know, Great Big C, and uh, throwback to Hardship Post after the break. And I just remember the, like, the producer looking at me for a second and going, I remember he put the camera aside and go, okay, that was really good, thanks. <laughs> and they offered me a job like three days later. And I remember talking to these guys about it, and we and I did we did I did come and say what do you what, yeah, were you conflicted about even oh taking yeah the for gig? sure and the guys were conflicted about it yeah of course um, but then it turned out to be the best thing because they gave me a much music truck <laughs> tore the much music they truck. gave me they gave <laughs> you got me a company vehicle they yeah. gave me a can they you gave me shoot cameras st- stories while we were on the road <laughs> so we had like a special area like don't. Fuck this shit up. It's much music stuff. Don't lay your yeah. amp on top of it. Don't touch it. Yeah. Like, and and all I had to do every week was was give them stories from the East Coast music scene. So it didn't matter if I was in Halifax or Moncton or or, or PEI or St. John's. So we could tour, and I would just take the stuff with me. So still getting a paycheck. So all of a sudden it was like, I Matt's making real money, yeah. and this is going to help the band. 
And honestly, it was it was amazing. Now we there was some clawback for sure. Some people looked at us like, oh, this, these guys suck. This is the much music guy. Their band's gonna suck. But then when they'd see us, they would they would know that we we could hold our own. But for sure, I think you know. I think even if you ask people now, I think we probably lost some respect because of it. But sure. I, but you know, I can't give a fuck about people like that. We 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 worked our asses off. I had this great job, and I was good at it. And it turned into a career, and I and I stand by every second of it. And so much has changed now with the way we even view that sort of like duality, and yeah. you know, the idea of selling out or whatever that mm-hmm. concept even means. Well, this is this kind of gets me uh, to you, where it's like with Arrow. So, do you see Matt do this, and then you're like, oh, this is kind of like something that I I can do. There is some duality, or like you said, you were just kind of lost after the band, and then you're with your brother. I. I definitely took something away from seeing Matt on TV on a regular basis. Yeah. It, a lot of people that end up on TV, someone thinks there's something special about that person. They were born with a special gift. It's bullshit. It's just work hard, practice, and get good at something. And if you want to do it and you want to overcome maybe your own shit or face a fear, whatever brings you to it, it's just like anything else in life. You know what I mean? And, and if you're if you're good at it, you're good at it. And you got to... You know, take opportunities if that's where you want to go in your life. So I saw him do his thing. It definitely gave me confidence to to try something, but I didn't think that was what I wanted to try. Like I, I was completely lost to be honest with you. Your band becomes like how you define yourself a lot, whether you know it or not. It sneaks up on you, and so um, I like you know the band ended. I ended a, a. Big, a long relationship with a girl. I, pa- I packed as much as I could fit in my uh, Toyota truck, and I drove. Like I just ran away from life, basically, as I see it now. And it was like the worst time for me to try to figure this shit out. But looking back on it, it was also the best thing that ever happened to me. So, like I said, my younger brother had moved to Vancouver. He was he's the biggest film buff I've ever met. He's got definitely firm opinions about film. He looks at him a different way. He did ever since he was a kid. I blame it on professional wrestling. My family loved <laughs> pro wrestling. He's a little kid. Five boys in my family. He's the youngest. No, Nobody in kindergarten is watching pro wrestling. Their parents <laughs> won't let them. But he is into it. And I'm bringing him to live events and everything. So he would always have this thing. If the match didn't play out the way he wanted to while we were watching it, he would go over, grab his toys, and start recreating it and have it end the way he thought it should end. He was invested in storylines at an exactly. early age. He understood the construct. directing clay figures or whatever. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like yeah, It was totally. all the beginning of it. I see it all really clearly now. So he always wanted to do that. He got a, a degree in history. It's like, if I don't become a teacher, I'm not going to use this. I'm going to go after the film thing. And he moved, moved out west. He actually had scholarship from Vancouver Film School. Um, but he took you know the indie band way and just vested in his own gear and started writing scripts and said i don't want to go 35 grand in debt i'll just let the scholarship go and take the money i've saved to to go to school and try to take control and, and i don't feel like anybody can really t- show you how to make art so i'm just going to try this for a while if i need more tools i'll go do some courses or i'll, I'll go to school then so at the same time i show up with my truck full of junk <laughs> you know then i uh i, I figure i want to be the cameraman or hold the boom mic <laughs> you're just there to hang yeah do something this, this is all public. very interesting to me you know like i don't know how it works and i'm like this is great now i get to you know maybe some stuff i've learned through my band i can use to help my brother get jump started in his art you know and is this brother andrew who directed crown yes. anchor okay so this is all coming very, together yeah. this is the start of this journey this that is, brings us to the start Crown of Anchor. everything mm-hmm. yeah wow. so he just didn't know any other actors 
<laughs> so, you know, there's like four of us in a skit and, you know, we're only shooting three or two at a time and whoever's not on scene is working the camera and sometimes it's just me and him and we'll hit play and run in front of the camera, start it and he'll edit all, everything else out. We actually had a, a like a, a standing lamp that had a boom arm on it. So oh, yeah. we, if nobody could hold the mic, we turned it into, we'd call it boom lamp and we'd type, <laughs> tape the mic with duct tape onto that. We'd, we'd need to film outside, so we'd wait until the middle of the night. I'd go out in my truck, take City of Vancouver pylons from a construction site, block off an alley, no permits, no nothing, <laughs> film outside. So it became super fun, super dangerous. It was all comedy stuff. It was all us trying to figure out how to do it. He needed me to jump in front of the camera to play some characters. I was terrible at first, but we started to do it so much that I started to see us improve. And you know what? They were really good. I, the thing that's brought popping in my mind, first of all, how they created that was the same way we created the band. Just like doing it, just like all balls, just do it, make it work, figure it out. But then the, the, what they were doing, if you look up some of these things on YouTube it's under Wild Driver, they were amazing. When he started sending them to me, I was jealous. Like I was in this building making really good salary, about to interview Quentin Tarantino, and I was fucking jealous of these guys. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That's what I want to do. Sorry to jump in, but it was just occurring to me. All good, man. You know, the spirit of it was right on point. Yeah. And I was able to sort of pick up and fill that hole, pick, pick up this new thing with new people. And one of them is a family member. The trust is there. It was okay to suck in front of him yeah. and, and, and some other people that I, that I became pretty close to pretty quick. Um, but it was also really fucking scary for me. And the new challenge of it really got me up for it. Obviously, I wasn't feeling up to start a new band. I need to take a break from that for a little bit at that moment in time. Um, you know, the band broke my heart, and I was just like, I need, I need a rebound. Let's do some of the comedy sketches. <laughs> yeah. But then I fell in love. You know what I mean? Totally. That's kind of what happened. Um, and luckily, the, the, however, you know, I think about acting is very much the way that I always thought about music. And then I found another thing that felt like building a table or building a house or getting good grades. It was making these things, right? And, and it gave me that feeling. So I knew. I was like, oh, God. All right, let's do things now. Let's do this shit. So, okay, but something like Arrow is like a tangible sort of like um, marker for success. Like Matt says, like working here, making a salary, it's like, oh, it's visible for family, friends, whatever. Right. You, oh, yeah, that's like a legitimate job. You're not just making skits. Yeah. Whereas like you can, I could look at something, like that skit could be great. But then like the parents might be like, so what are you doing out there in Vancouver? Exactly. Whereas you book something like Arrow yeah. and now all of a sudden it's like, that's a pretty big fucking win. And, and one of the hardest things in creating your own art on a very low budget is getting it in front of people absolutely like, the best your favorite shit you've never found you know what i mean exactly and my favorite shit i've never found and whether it's right or wrong it legitimizes it exactly. you know like we talk to a lot of artists and it's like oh you got nominated for a grammy and they're like the biggest thing that does is it's like you go to dinner with your uncle or your aunt and they're like oh my god the grammy <laughs> but i mean if you're the artist or you're the one creating whatever it is yeah. you know that it's like does that really matter? It's like what matters is if you feel good about what you're doing and you know in your heart of heart that it's like yeah. this is quality shit. Exactly. So, I mean, when you, when you go on that audition, are you nervous? Are okay, you like... Yeah, so I, I said, like, I, got, I worked my way on set as, like, a um, background actor a few times and saw other actors okay, script so their steps. lines and, again, gives you that confidence yeah. of, like, there's nothing special about this, dude. <laughs> like, I can... I, I think that, you know, my brother's writing is as good as anybody's and, you know... Um, I, I said, I, I, if I'm going to do drama, I need some more tools, right? I still don't, I don't have this figured out. So I went to, you know, a couple of scene study groups, had a good teacher. He had a look at me and said, uh, because of your uh, face, you're going to play assholes. <laughs> and I was like, 
Really? Like yeah. Was, I'm like, so oh, right. man. <laughs> Dang oh, on. man. I was like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm the comedy guy, right? <laughs> and he's like, no. So he was giving me really challenging scenes, doing some very serious shit to some very serious people. And and um, that gave me even more confidence. And he put me in touch with an agent. And I'm still with her today. Her name is Michelle Govan. And she went to bat for me, even though I had no credits. I think I faked a few, maybe, to have a resume in the so beginning. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, she went to bat and convinced some people to see me, and I think it was the second or third audition I went to was uh, for Arrow, and uh, the asshole face came in handy. I remember when you were on hold for that. I was in the airport going to interview, no doubt. <laughs> I'm just just coming to my brain, and I and it was the first time I had problems with this evil Matt Wells at the airport. There's another Matthew Wells who's done some crazy shit that has started giving me problems at the airport. And, <laughs> oh, this was no. the, and this was the first time I faced that. I almost missed my flight going to New York to interview No Doubt. And I was waiting, and he called me to say that you were on hold for Arrow. But I don't even think then that you or I knew it was Deadshot. No. They told me it was just some army guy. Yeah. I thought it was just going to be one and done and all yeah. this Have stuff. Have a few lines, yeah. and that's that. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I just remember that. And I remember yelling in the airport. Because I was like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. And, you know, the, the thing that I just wanted to add, because Mike and I had this very, uh, you know, we've had this parallel life, but how we sort of found the acting was a little bit different. We both, we both come from the same background of loving, loving movies, but also loving professional wrestling and, mm. and the, the, the stories that created, right? But when I, so I had that in me, and I sort of fell into this TV job and I, as a host, and I wasn't like, I was like, well, this is what I'm doing now. And I love doing it, and I love the things I got to do. But as soon as they, they had me start covering TIFF, and all of a sudden I was watching movies and interviewing actors and interviewing directors, th and that was the research I was doing, that's when it started to make me feel like, oh my God, I think that's what I actually want to be doing. So I said this very recently, you can imagine for, the, for these, because I left Much Music four years ago, but the three years leading up to that, all I could think about, because I started writing scripts, I started taking acting classes, so you can imagine what someone who's having those cravings can learn from interviewing all the people we would get to interview at a place like Much Music. You had the most exclusive access for something that you all of a sudden have become it extremely was, interested in. So it was like going to school for me. Yeah. I was asking these legitimate, well, what about this, what about this? And you know, you asked a question earlier about like, you know, sometimes how do you go from being a musician to an actor? Is it different? Is it the same? I remember asking that question. I, uh, whether it was Adrian Grenier yeah. or, um, I mean, as I'm gaffing on some other sure, people. Peter Sutherland, Keanu yeah, Reeves. But people who I'd interviewed yeah. and, and talked about Russell that. Crow, right. Yeah, but Johnny then Depp. I realized that, um, you know, it was this thing where, like Mike says, and he, put, he puts it very succinctly, it's you really are flexing the same tools. It's all about just creating something, whether it's with a guitar or whether it's through a character. It really is the same muscle. It's the same but different. And but there was a time that I thought, well, why, was a, why is a musician trying to be an actor? That's weird. But then I learned from doing those interviews it's not weird at all. And then when I got to do it in practice, I was like, oh, yeah. It, it wasn't weird. It's all kind of the same sandbox once yeah. you step back yeah. and take a look. Yeah. I've even heard Martin Scorsese say he makes movies because he can't play an instrument. Yeah, that's right. And it's all he's trying to do is make music. That's right. That's he why can't, he can't yeah. sing and he can't play anything. That's yeah. a great so line. He makes so, movies, yeah, and yeah. then in order to feel like a musician, he would just do coke yeah. every day with Robbie Robertson. <laughs> exactly. And he's like, I'm a fucking rock star. I'm yeah. in the band. <laughs> 
Um, but we were both kind of closet actors in the beginning because he didn't tell me he was getting into it, and I didn't tell him <laughs> in the beginning hilarious. that I was getting into it. Oh my god! And then you—that's like I remember I dated this girl, and it was like both of us were secret smokers, but neither of us told each other <laughs> until anyway. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I guess I wanted to get to Crowded Acre and the fact that so you guys—is is this your story or is it collaborative? Because it says you, you guys have like a co-write on this. Yep. It very simple. I started writing a script because I this like I said this was the world I was connecting with I wanted to write something as a vehicle for myself as an actor and then when I realized that Mike and I both came out of the closet as actors I was like well we need to work we need we talk about it all the time getting the band back together so I started writing this as a vehicle for him and I so I wrote these two main characters and that's where it began and I knew I wanted to set it in St. John's. And I worked on this thing for two years. And I would start tell, I would tell Mike about it. And then I would send him pages. And I would talk about the story. So he would say, try this, try this. I don't like this. So we developed the characters. We developed the story. I had a, f- a, f- a fully flushed out script in my mind. And he said, give it to Andrew. Because at this point, obviously, I've known Mike for a very long time. So I knew his brother Andrew since Andrew's eight or nine years old. And, I, and I'd been watching Andrew. I knew how talented he was. And I'd always go to him for creative input. So we gave him the script. And Andrew just said, I liked the, the sentiment. I liked the characters. I would write this completely differently. And I said, go ahead. And, uh, and he came back with a, uh, just, a, you know, the Andrew version. It's, so it's his script. But it started with this way for Mike and I essentially to get the band back together and explore themes that were connecting with me at the time. But as as a creative or like, you know, some of the, you know, you seem like you take charge or like an A-type. Was it difficult for you to relinquish this sort of thing that was close to you? I mean, I guess because you guys are so close, it's it's easier. It was was easier because of that. Uh, You know, the first read, when he sent me back his version of my script, the first read, I don't even think I retained any of it. Sure. I was just, I was like, well. Trying to see what parts remained. Of course. And there was very little. That's natural. Like the, change that. Change yeah. that. There was a couple scenes like, oh, that's my scene. That's my scene. But really it was like, oh, so this is really what it is. So the first read, I, I couldn't really comment on it. But then I read it a second time. And I was just like, this is, this is something special. And at that point, I had read a lot of scripts. And I'd watched a lot of movies because of my job. Not only because I loved it. So I felt like I, I had a handle on things that, that were... Not to sound like a dick, but that are, that's good and bad. Sure. At least for my taste. Yep. And, th- and I read this, and I was like, this, there's something special here. And uh, That's something you work out in a band pretty quick, too. Yeah. This is kind of what I'm getting at, yeah. is yeah. the idea of collaboration in creative. Yeah, you bring a lot of ego, it's not going to work at all, right? So you've got to be open to what's the best for the song. Yeah. And so this was what's the best for the project. And we had also figured out that, you know, I mean, I had, uh, I had a little taste of... of working with you know a bigger uh, production and how little control any actor has in a project yes. and we're like if we can get the money ourselves we're going to keep the control and how fun is that going to be mm-hmm. and so um you know th- andrew also adjusted it to what we thought we could get as a budget and yep. that was a big thing he took out a lot of things me and him put him just because we wanted the the big you know yeah, if we I, had no scene or something yeah. dude i wanted to i Honestly, I wanted to make Usual Suspects set in St. John's. Like, that's what I wanted to make, you know? Yeah. Um, Great so, movie. Yeah. But also, you know what? Like, uh, I, I'd now been on the show for a few years, and I'd done a lot of auditions, and I'd done a couple of other, like, small parts, but on big films and read some, some scripts. And I always had this thing in my head, like, I couldn't predict it because I started making stuff with my brother, and I had never read a script. I didn't have Matt's experience of meeting a lot of actors. Still haven't met a lot of actors. Do you know what I mean? Uh, 
it's all still very new to me. But I started reading a lot of scripts, and I, I had this moment of like, I'll be damned if my brother that I started with is still not the best. His shit is not the best scripts I've ever read. Yeah. But it was right in front of me, and I had no perspective. So how would I know? But it all led, all paths led right back to. Yeah. If we want to get somebody to write it. Let's get yep. Andrew. Like he's the most talented writer I know. Yeah, keep and it in the family, metaphorically exactly. sure. and literally. Yeah. And the thing that I have learned, and probably the best advice that I have, I don't know where I, I heard this, but I've carried it with me for a very long time, and I think maybe it came from the band, is that if you surround yourself with people who are, who are, who are better than you at things, don't be, don't be scared of it. Embrace it and learn from them. You're going to find a better version of yourself. So don't be, don't be scared if someone's like, so much more confidence, so much people so get much threatened. More people get threatened. Yeah. So if you can just embrace that, and that's what, and that's that's the 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 relationship I have with Michael. It's the relationship that I have with Andrew now. So the three of us together were able to take all the things that we were really good at. So you know, I have no doubt that this is just the first of many projects that we're going to make together. But I think that it sh- it proved to us that. And, you know, we're three pretty strong personalities. Like, if you had Andrew here, you'd see it. Like, it's three pretty strong personalities. And we butt heads a lot on this, from, from casting to certain scenes to the creative, to the posters, to all those things. But I think what we end up with is something that we all go, yeah, three of us agree on this, so there's something to it. You know, you sometimes have to wrestle and fight with it. Mm-hmm. But in the back of our minds, we all know... Oh man, I don't want to be right, but he's right. Like yeah. you got to call it when you when you know and are again, you know, check your ego at the door or you're just getting in your own way. It's already hard enough. Why the fuck do you want to get in your own way? Yeah. You know? So you got to admit defeat when you realize, yeah, this is a this is a better project now or or this is uh what it needs to be right now, you know? And so uh I feel really lucky to even just have these guys around me because they don't tell me that my ridiculous ideas are stupid and not going to work. When most people in your life that, you know, love you and support you, they want to protect you. So they usually tell you that crazy ideas are stupid and don't do it. Yeah. But where are you going to get in life if you don't risk big, you know what I mean? So I got these guys that actually support me and, 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 and like, encourage me to do st- stupid stuff. Yeah. And, and half the time it pays off, man, because... You know, you don't go in blind, stupid. You got to have it crazy, but just crazy enough to work. I think a wise man once said, if you let burn, that's just pride fucking with you. (laughs) (laughs) That was the guy in the back alley we just ran into on our way here. Selling smokes, curtains of smokes. Yeah, I didn't have any smokes on me. Um, Well, I guess guess lastly, as I wrap up, you just said that... um, you hope that this is the first of many that you guys end up doing together. And so even as, as difficult as maybe the process was at times, if you can come out of making something as hard to make as a feature film and be like, well, shit, we still want, we want to get together and run it back, even though it might have been hard at times. Is that the hope going forward? It's honestly the feeling of uh, it, it coming out the other side of this film was, oh, my God, that was so hard. I can't believe we did it. You know, in his case, because he's type A. I thought it was going to kill him. But as soon as it was like done, we're like, okay, let's do it again. I can't wait to do it again. You know, it's, it's so weird. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, we have a lot of ideas and a lot of things that are actually completely developed that we would be able to pull the trigger on because it took us a while to, uh, get to the point where we could raise funds and make something, but we'd been pitching things and trying to, to, to 
get around to, to self-producing something for a long time. And so we have many projects ready to go that um, I'm yeah. really excited about. Probably and money people, too. It's always like, show us you can do it. And exactly. you guys, you guys did it. Yeah, this is exactly. Yeah. It sort of legitimizes you. And uh, But honestly, like I, what I love about this and the way it's sort of revealing itself to us so far is that this is an independent movie from start and now through to distribution. Like, we've got distribution in Canada through Cineplex independently. We have distribution right now in America independently. That, and we never plan for that. Nobody does. Like, an indie film like ours, people just think, oh, I hope we can make it. I hope people will see it. You never think you're going to get in theaters. Maybe you have to rent a theater. But all of a sudden, I'm waking up every day to a new email saying there's another theater that wants you. So to have an, in, our, our first, right? But to have an independent film be independent from start to distribution in North America is crazy and it's it's not easy and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody uh, and for the faint of heart I would say but if we can keep doing stuff like this if this sets us up to be able to keep, keep doing it where we make projects that we like but we also are able to sort of roll it out and promote it the way that feels right it's like a dream scenario and I don't I'm not even sure that we'll ever... This might be as good as it gets. I said this a couple of times. Like, for me, the role, the writing, the way we, the way this happened, I, I fear that this might be as good as it gets for me in my, create, in my creative life. But if that is the case, it's okay with me because it was so great. DIY punk guys are dangerous, man. You can take those <laughs> life skills and you can apply it to some stuff, some serious stuff, and, you know... It's just never quit. Explore all options. Challenge authority. That 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 will do it yourself. That that will get you far in life. Yeah. You're gonna see these people start to to creep into politics. CEOs of companies. <laughs> I you believe know, it. Like taking yeah. over the world in a lot of ways. They're not motivated by money always. They're, Disruptors, man. Yeah, exactly. And 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 it, it feels real good to. I feel really lucky to have been able to take everything that we learned through music and apply it to someone else. It's not. It wasn't a reset. It wasn't a parallel thing it was like an evolution you know like this is exactly where i want to be and, and yeah. a new voice you know a new way to reach people and uh i'm psyched for people to see what we're gonna do next i don't know what the hell he's talking about it that might be as good as it gets man we're just getting started <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for your time guys really man, really appreciate thank you it, man. Thanks. thanks for the chat Welcome to the dessert. Shane, what's up? Hope you're not in uh, such a funk anymore since the opening. I'm out of that funk. That was a good conversation, guys. <laughs> Thank you. But I, I brought some collector's items with me. Uh. And I will be selling these at the live show. Oh, <laughs> that's cool. Live show. Merch. Again, September 29th. Whoa. Saturday. Shane's Digital Dessert. It's a mug, a coffee mug. Wow. And he got it from personalizedcoffeemugs.ca. <laughs> Just just had this uh, right before came. Oh, nice! How much are you selling them for? Are we splitting twenty dollars? The well, there is no profit. Oh, uh-huh. but yeah, if there was, if there ever is, we'll split the profit. What's uh, so? How many of these? Did mugs it cost do you twenty dollars to make that? I just got two of them for now. But if someone <laughs> wants one, DM me. These are gonna be hot. They're hot items. Yeah, well, like I'll tell you, these are collector's items because okay. the digital desserts are not going well. Um, <laughs> So these could be worth a lot very soon. I w- there will be a time that uh, I will explain this story further, but for now I'll say yesterday I had a run-in where I show up to do a digital dessert and they're expecting maybe Ryan Seacrest to be there or like a better in-depth uncomedic interview. 
and then I start with my bullshit and they're like, <laughs> we've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> and, you know, it's not a good feeling for them and it's not a good feeling for me, mm-hmm. but I'll get to the heart of what really hurt me was I had this really cute, funny idea to do with Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. And he was in Room and he was in the, he's in the new Predator film. He was also in a movie called Wonder uh, with uh, starring Owen Wilson and himself, which Owen Wilson's my favorite actor. So I was pretty excited to get the inside scoop. Like, what's Owen really like? It was really the only digital dessert I was really looking forward to, especially given his young age. He's only 11. I wanted to do something cute and fun. But it doesn't look like we're going to get Jacob Tremblay because I guess word spread on how terrible I am. <laughs> like, you know how we had the intern contest mm-hmm. and it went so well. I am looking for a Jacob Tremblay impersonator right now. Okay. Because you know what? You wrote a bit, and just because you don't have Jacob Tremblay should not be a thing that impedes I'm, you doing it. I'm doing the bit. <laughs> <laughs> he told me the bit. It's quite good. Yeah, I went over it with Max. I put well, a lot funny, of work into this. I, I, got, I got to the video. Wait, wait, wait. Um, this part we'll save for later. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. we got to save it for some uh, okay, stuff, okay, man. Okay, okay, I'll save it. But yeah, it, it was a sad night for me. Yeah. And then, by the way, I planned this digital dessert with less than 24 hours notice. Yeah. So the fact that it turned out so well, I was really proud of myself. And when it didn't materialize, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. I don't actually need Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> what I do need is someone who kind of, we were talking about auras earlier, mm-hmm. someone who embodies him. They just have to be between the ages of 9 to 11. They don't have to be any particular race or gender. <laughs> I just want them to audition. So if you message me at ShaneyBoy69, I <laughs> like, like DM on Instagram. DM me on Instagram. I got our voice guy to do an ad that will play up to this too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I will give you a script to audition and then I will pick someone. They're going to get $300. $300? I'm paying them. <laughs> Is this coming out of the show budget or, or your own budget? It, it may come out of a show budget. <laughs> <laughs> and have they, we budgeted for that a fake jacob trombley <laughs> i guess who knows one day it may appear on television mm-hmm. so i'll say that i think it's a great opportunity for a young and upcoming aspiring actor so here it is let's roll the promo do you have a child between the ages of 9 and 11 who gives off a Jacob Tremblay vibe? Have them try out for Shane's Jacob Tremblay Impersonator Contest. They will be paid $300 and get to be the star of a digital dessert that might just end up on the TV. Winky face, all races and genders welcome. DM Shaneyboy69 on Instagram for details. Good luck, Tremblayers. That's it. That's all. That is our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, thanks to Matt Wells and Michael Rowe for coming on and promoting their film, Crown and Anchor. The Mike on Much podcast can be found online, Instagram, Twitter, at Mike on Much. Huge thank you to Jenna Gregory and Tara Paquette for putting out the artwork. Huge shout out to uh, Sarah McLaren, to Greg Stewart, to Tyson Parker, Justin Stock, and the whole team here at Bell. That makes this thing happen. The Michael Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Dermott. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.